The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Two big receivers in. Johnny Wilson wide left. Malik McLean wide to the right. Toafili to the right of Travis in the gun. Double wing set. Second and goal from the four. Lobbing it up. Looking for Johnny Wilson. Makes the catch. Touchdown Florida State. Touchdown FSU. Utilize your weapons. Way to utilize your weapons on that, coach. That right there is a mismatch off the bat. You want to find your two biggest receivers out there, your two biggest targets down in the red zone. Johnny Wilson has been that guy. Give him a shot. Close, but no cigar. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.01 here on this Monday night. This is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on 89.7 FM, WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Also streaming live on WVFS.FSU.edu. And as you know, probably already available the next day as a podcast wherever you you listen to those. The slate for tonight's show, FSU falls to Wake Forest by a score of 31-21. We will be previewing FSU football's game this Saturday against NC State. We will be joined by Ben Ellis, the assistant sports editor of The Technician at 725. That's the student paper at NC State. So another weekly installment of that uh, little segment that we've been doing every week during football season. Seminal segment right after that at about 740 with our producer Jack Oliero talking all things uh, Florida State soccer, volleyball, etc. And then we'll cap off the show with some NFL Week 4, the Sunshine Slate, where we talk about all three of the Florida teams and then some other headlines around the National Football League as well. You can call the show at 850-644-1837 to talk about all of those things. But without further ado, I'm your host, William Haynes. To my left, our co-host, Jackson Bakers. Jackson, great to have you in. I know you had your parents come in to visit. Uh, and where you hail from Lake County, how, uh, did they make it all right out of Hurricane Ian? Yeah, they made it. They made it all right. Um, you know, thankfully, my area wasn't hit as bad as uh, Southwest Florida. Um, but, you know, prayers to everybody in Southwest Florida, first of all, and also in Orlando as well. Um, you know, Lake County is about an hour northwest of Orlando, so it didn't, you know, they didn't even lose power. That's uh, great. Thankfully, but, um, you know, we're, we're thinking and we're praying for all those uh, affected by the hurricane. But um, they made it up fine, had a little bit of trouble on the way back, but they ended up getting back. Um, from Tallahassee in about five hours time it usually takes about three and a half so they had a little trouble in 75 but other than that um, you know they had a good time uh, Florida State we'll get into it didn't necessarily have a great time Miami Dolphins didn't really have a great time uh, you know so not a not the best week for the Jackson the Jackson Bakich household but uh, I think we have some some good things on the horizon coming up here in the uh, the next few weeks I can I can relate to you a little bit there. Not only did our Florida State Seminoles lose, but uh, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers falling to the Chiefs in a little bit of a thrashing there on Sunday night. So going 0-2 on the weekend. But I think anytime you can just sit around on the couch and watch football all the weekend, that's cheating life, win, lose, or draw. So can't really complain too much there. Next up, uh, as I turn to the panel to my right, having back in, I think for the first time this semester, we had you in, I think just me and you, a cup for some segments for some shows. Max Rundy, I know you write for the, the paper, The FS View, and now you're hosting. You've brought back our podcast here with uh, V89 Sports Talk and Chop. You're the host of that program. So, Max, really glad to have you back in, and uh, how is uh, all that going these days? It's a pleasure to be back here in uh, 420 Diffenbaugh, one of the coolest buildings on all of campus. Um, Talk and Chop's been a lot of fun. I, uh, Slacked off a little bit last week with the 
slacked off a little bit last week with the hurricane going on, but we'll be back on it again this week. Expect a new episode Thursday, talking mostly FSU soccer as they keep rolling along. Yeah, we'll have seminal segment later on, as we mentioned. But yeah, the uh, the pro uh, the talking shop podcast. Uh, it's a collaboration between WVFS, the sports department, and the FSVU Sports. So a great chance to hear some FSU sports conversations from people at this university that cover those teams. And rounding out the panel, we have making his Tomahawk Talk debut, Jacob Smith. So welcome, congratulations on making your first show. And I know talking to you a little bit, you're uh, pursuing meteorology as a student. So. Uh, unlike sports, when it comes to weather, I'm more of a layman, but I imagine for someone like yourself that's kind of following and reading some stuff about the hurricane and everything, you've, you've had maybe a different perspective on things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's great to be here, first of all. Uh, hello, folks. Yep, I'm the resident meteorologist here at V89. Um, definitely, yes. So, you know, when, we, when we're tracking the hurricane, you know, of course, we're going to see a lot of different viewpoints of meteorologists, you know, saying that oh, we believe, you know, the storm is going to be, you know, heading towards one location when, you know, in a couple hours that could change and say it's going to a different location. So it's all about, you know, giving the people the information that they need and um, hoping that everything works itself out. All right. We'll look forward to uh, talking to all of you during the course of the show. Jack Oliaro, our producer, peeking in from behind the glass. He'll have seminal segment later on. And just uh, to throw it out there, the, the call that you heard on the top of the show, courtesy of Jeff Colain, the play-by-play broadcaster, the Seminole Sports Network, and Learfield IMG College with the, the call at the top of the show. But let's get into it. FSU falling to Wake Forest by a score of 31-21, to 21, setting the scene. Uh, the Wake Forest head coach, Dave Clawson, made some headlines <laughs> with some controversies Earlier in the week, he said that he didn't imagine a lot of fans were going to be at this game. He said that, you know, less fans than they than they had when they played Vanderbilt, which is under 40,000. 23,000, yeah, exact. Yeah, and, and so FSU had just about under 70,000, so he, he missed the boat on that. But Jackson, he had some other um, th- takes that were a little bit out of line about Florida State there, too. Yeah, he said, you know, you know they got that horse and... They're gonna they're gonna throw that thing and it's gonna explode. You know, of course, talking about Chief Osceola and Renegade and and uh, the great Seminole Spear and uh, I think that that riled up some Florida State fans and uh, really got him off the wrong foot was with Dave Clawson. It did. Uh, yeah, that's never a move. You when you're going into a hostile environment and all you do is fire up the the opposing team and the opposing fan base. I don't know. I mean, they won by double digits, so maybe you look back and you know hindsight is twenty twenty, whatever. But FSU gave away four tickets to each person that presented a, a Florida State ID the day of the game, so they had uh, their incentives going to uh, pack Doe Campbell Stadium, and they did that, as I said, just around 70000 And I was there. I was in line. You know, I was getting some, some tickets from my parents. Uh, that line stretched, so the line started at Dick Hauser Stadium at their, their ticket, their will call there. And the, the line stretched all the way to the Florida State locker room, so if you're familiar with uh, the layout of Florida State campus and the athletic facilities there, you know, that's a pretty long way. H- hundreds and hundreds of people. That's a good perspective on that. Uh, Wake Forest was coming off a double overtime loss to Clemson, so they were looking to come back in a big way, stay in the top 25, stay alive in the ACC. And then on the other side, it was Florida State looking to continue their undefeated start. They had just finished a beating of Boston College the week prior, and they were uh, on top of the world. So two unbeatens, two ranked teams uh, facing off in Doak Campbell Stadium. And 
right out of the gate, Wake Forest wins the toss. They defer. FSU gets the ball first. And they go right down the field and put up seven points on the board. So far this season, through the five games, uh, FSU has scored on nine of their ten possessions to open a half. And they, they scored touchdowns in the first half and the second half, their first drives of both of those. So... Uh, this is what Mike Norvell has done, Coach Norvell, ever since he's got here, even in that first game against Georgia Tech. This scripted offense, the first 10 or 15 plays that they start a game with, look electric. They went play action a lot right out of the gate, I think anticipating that Wake Forest was going to try and play the run. Uh, Johnny Wilson getting involved early. and But that I mean, they, that was all they would do for the first half. So uh, that that's the maybe the first question we'll ask is where is the drop-off with how good this team looks to start a game to start a half versus uh, all the time in between? Well, I, I will say, um, you know, through the Taggart era, era excuse me, um, you know, especially with Coach Gillingham as the offensive coordinator, um, every game it felt as though Florida State was very much a scripted team, only, could only do well, you know, in the first and third quarters. Uh this season, I haven't felt that with you know Coach Norvell and Alex Atkins working together in that tandem. But the Wake Forest game, I did. It, it, it did feel like you know they were getting back almost to that Dillingham-esque uh, sort of style where you know at the beginning of the half, like you said, they're 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 putting points on the board, and it's never a bad thing. You know, you said nine out of ten. It's never a bad thing to to um, you know score in your opening drives. But um, when it is the identity of your offense, it's one hundred percent. Not a good thing to have. So, uh, you know, we can talk about different strategies and how they went about the game. But, um, you know, later in the game, they were still trying to establish the run game, which I didn't understand. Uh, they had a lot more success in the air, um, especially throwing on first down. Um, so why they went, went went that way, like you said, uh, Wake was probably expecting the run. Why they still kept trying to establish the run game. And, and, and I will take credit or excuse me, not take credit, but I will acknowledge the fact that I kept saying, you know, Florida State needs to be two-dimensional. They need to be two-dimensional. Um, but at that point in the game, you have to recognize that the run game just wasn't working. Wake Forest had a very intentional game plan. I think they were they were playing the run from the get-go, I think. Um, I mean, FSU runs for four yards to carry, all things considered. A couple fumbles, one of them FSU lost. But, yeah, it seemed like there were opportunities throughout the, the, the game where the, the passing game was there and they didn't necessarily go to it. They didn't go to the well maybe as much as they could have. But after that that opening drive touchdown to make it 7 nothing Florida State, Wake Forest started to really take control of this game. They punted on their opening possession, but the next four drives after that, 13, 13 plays, 80 yards, and about five minutes for a touchdown. 12 plays, 90 yards, and four minutes for a touchdown. Uh, they had the short field after uh, Jordan Travis fumbled on his first designed run of the game. Uh, short field, about 40 yards, a touchdown. So there's 21 points right there. And the next drive after that to close out the first half, 15 plays, 54 yards in over five minutes um, with a missed field goal. That one was from 44 yards out. So I think this this is what affected the game maybe just about more than anything else is Wake Forest had this FSU defense gassed, seemingly from the very beginning. It seemed like we were chasing them the whole way through. And, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, trying not to be two-dimensional, but, and we, you know, we can talk about, oh, well, well, Florida State should have done this, Florida State should have done that. But really what it came down to is Wake Forest just beat Florida State in every category, every team category. We talked about this before the show. Uh, Third down conversion, turnover battle. Uh, yards, passing yards, rushing yards. I believe it was a complete domination all the way through. So uh, 
you know, not a whole lot. Obviously, and there's three plays I, I can point to during that game. Um, obviously, you have the Travis fumble first drive coming out of the second half. You have the missed field goal early on, chip shot that you know has to be made at this level. Uh, Ryan Fisher, a great guy, but you know kicks have to be made. Um, you know, it, if he was more consistent throughout the year, maybe we'd give him a pass. But just the, the kicking game in terms of putting points on the board hadn't been there. And then finally, you have that third and 11 late in the game. You have a chance to get the ball back down one score. Uh, you know, I, I forgive me, I don't remember who's, who's in coverage there, but pretty much gets mossed. I think it was uh, Renardo Green yeah. than the first and, one. And um, obviously there's some other plays. But, you know, those are the three, point, the three plays where maybe if two of them go – Go Florida State's way; it's a different ball game. But uh, overall, if Florida State had any chance of winning that game, it w- they would have had to steal it because that was not their game to win. Yeah, we talked about the the uh, Wake offense in the first half, and uh, yeah, they were rolling. You, Max. What I'll say here is, sure, FSU in total lost this football game, but it comes down to two things: silly mistakes and the second quarter. The second quarter is where everything changed for FSU. 14 points to zero. Every single statistical team category leaned in Wake Forest's favor. And it all started with a silly mistake, a run play, which I'm a big fan of Travis running the football, and a simple turnover. He just kept the ball out a little too far, didn't control as much as he should have, turns it over in a bad part of the field, and from then on, the game was over. It really was. You could feel a momentum shift in that entire stadium. You could feel the the diffused energy of that crowd. I just think silly it, it mistakes. It felt like a really, balloon had been absolutely. just let go. And what hurt it even more is, although the second quarter lost this game for the Seminoles, there were just bad, embarrassing plays sprinkled throughout this ball game, especially, especially with simple tackles. This game could have had 50 less yards easily for Wake Forest, maybe even more. That's just a spitballed random number off the top of my head. Missed tackles was just the number one standout. And, and I would have to agree with you. It felt like you know we were watching a, a Willie Taggart coach team yesterday when it came to, to defensive. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to say, you know, oh my gosh, you know the defense is horrible now. But it, it felt as though there was a lot, of, like you said, a lot of simple basics um, that were negated, um, and sometimes. That's just you know whether a, a team is um, not tracking the inside hip like they should or you know but I, I don't necessarily think that's coaching. Um, I just think sometimes the players don't make the no, plays. No, for sure. Sometimes and, they don't follow through with what they are told, and everyone always hones in on the open field tackles, which was a problem. But for me, I noticed numerous times where FSU had them dead in their tracks in the backfield. Yep. In the backfield and let them still get positive yards. That's how you lose football games. That minus three to a plus four. That little subtlety. And and not only does it does it hurt uh, statistic-wise, but it, it hurts in a, such a momentum, in a momentous way. Oh, it's demoralizing. Way. Um, when it's kind of like uh, when you get an offensive rebound in basketball, you know, to explain it in NBA terms, in basketball terms, but it's kind of like when you get an offensive rebound in basketball, then it turns into a three-pointer. I mean, that that's, that's a five-point swing. And... Uh, and it's kind of the same. I don't want to go too off on a tangent, but it's kind of the same thing with a dunk. Uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're dunking the ball at, in a home crowd, 
it's worth more than two points sometimes. Even more so, a great defensive rebound followed up by your big man thinking he's a point guard and throws a full-court turnover. Mm -hmm, absolutely. It's just bad. It's just simple football missed out on. As much as Florida State got outplayed in the first half, uh, while, while Wake was putting out those long scoring drives, you look at FSU's offense after that opening touchdown. Three and out, five and out, Jordan Travis fumbling on the first play of the drive, four and out, and then the missed field goal from 29 yards out that would have made it 21 to 10 right before half. This uh, It could have very easily been 21-14 going into halftime, and that changes the second half quite a bit. And let's talk about that sequence now at the end of the first half. It was 21-7 Wake. With, with 5.20 to go in the second quarter, uh, Wake had the ball first and 10 at the FSU 14-yard line. There was a holding penalty, and Jared Verse getting a sack. He had only a handful of snaps as he's starting to make his way back from this injury, but a huge play there. Forces Wake Forest kind of out of field goal range to kick a 44-yarder and miss it. So all of a sudden they, had, they were in the red zone first and 10. They come away with no points, FSU getting the ball back. Uh, with uh, just under four minutes to play. They had 74 yards to go and two timeouts to make it 21-14 if they could go on a drive. Um, with Wake getting the ball to start the second half, you really needed to put some points on there to end the first 30 minutes of the game. Florida State gets into the red zone rather easily throwing the ball down the field. They get in, It was at the 22-yard line of Wake Forest. They call five straight run plays. Wake Forest had all three other timeouts, and I think uh, the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball Got a little bit too cute trying to do two things at once. Of course, they wanted to score, but I think they wanted to take Wake's timeout so they couldn't respond. But those runs didn't go anywhere, as you were saying, Jackson. It seemed like there were times where the the throwing the ball was working, the, the passing game was going, and all of a sudden they run the ball for uh, various reasons that they had this in this situation trying to take away the timeouts. And all of a sudden they've got to settle for a 29-yard field goal. And you can't make that kick either. Um, there was a third and ten, forced it into to the triple coverage to Cam McDonald. That was the only time they threw the ball in that sequence. And then, as I said, Fitzgerald missing the 29-yarder. So, to me, in my opinion, that that was the game right there. Could have been 21-14. Instead, it's 21-7. And then, as we'll go on to talk about, Wake Forest scored in the second half to make it 28-7. And that was pretty much all she wrote. And, you know, we said earlier, Florida State loses the turnover battle. Uh, but there's only one turnover in the game. It's not like they played. Uh, but they didn't force any either. That's that's very true. It's very true. But um, to only to to blame the one turnover, I, like I, I'm not blaming the entire game on that one turnover. I'm just saying it's it's the three biggest plays that that caused in the long run Florida State to lose. But you know, to only be down one in the turnover margin isn't going to lose you a game, and so. Uh, for Florida State to not be able to create any turnovers at all, they just weren't able to establish any momentum other than that first drive. That's true. And uh, if you can't establish any momentum in a home crowd, why even play at home? And I think um, the next few games are going to be very telling for how this football team progresses. I mean, you know, the first loss, you know, I mean, I played football in high school, so I think it's going to be very telling for how the rest of the season goes. I mean, is this team going to bounce back or are they going to go the route of the 03 Vikings? You know, they started off pretty good and then they fell off after their first loss. So, you know, we'll see how that ends up. But what do you guys think? Yeah, it is a, a split in the road. We knew going in this was going to be the, the toughest three-game part of the schedule where you have Wake at home, you go to NC State, and you get Clemson at home. And we'll talk about NC State a little bit uh, further on. But, yeah, that 
is going to be tough. I do quickly want to talk about the second half of this game because not much to take away. They were pretty much just playing catch-up the whole time. Wake starts the second half with a touchdown drive, and at this point, um, like I said, 28-7, it's hard to come back from. Pittman had a couple of, of long grabs. He had a nice touchdown catch to make it 28-13. And the reason why it was 13 was because they went for two. They didn't kick the extra point, and now... Yeah, I mean, help me explain this. Why Why are they not kicking the extra point right there? And, and we talked about it pre-show. Maybe they felt they could win the game 29-28. Um, to me, I'm, I, I've always been a, a fan of, you know, go for it when you need it. There's no, unless, I mean, obviously there's different situations. You know, a kicker's hurt or a kicker's performing incredibly horribly. Uh, you know, playing Pop Warner growing up as well, we, uh, we never kicked field goals. So, uh, but point being... I didn't understand the decision. You know, Fitz uh, kicks the field goal to make it 7 nothing early in the game. Um, but, yeah, go ahead, Max. Honestly, I'm going to spark the energy in this booth real quick. Does anyone else fear of the – not the overall decision-making, but it, to be a good college football coach, let alone any sport coach, you got to make the right decision at the right time. And does anyone else fear that Mike Norvell tends to not do that very well? I I would agree with that. I think he's a great culture builder. I think you know he, he's a he's a great coach overall. I don't think that makes him you know a terrible coach, but I, I think he would also agree. There's been plenty of times you know you talk about Jacksonville State for sure, um, not putting out the prevent defense. You're talking about uh, pitching the ball on the one yard line against LSU, um, but there's also a numerous amount of times um, where Coach Norrell remembers about the three-second guys. I don't know if anybody else against Miami last year, I don't know if anybody else in the stadium knew, including the referees, knew the three-second rule until he reminded them um, when when Tyler Van Dyke uh, spikes the ball with two seconds left. And then, uh, you know, I, I think about Boston College last year where uh, they have that fourth down play uh, only up by three, pinned in their own end zone, and, they, and Jordan Travis... Um, you know, throws the ball 50 yards down out of bounds for the clock to expire. I mean, there are things that he's very good at when it comes to game time decisions and, and knowing what to do and what not to do. But I think there's also a, a fair amount of evidence that demonstrates he's made some mistakes that I, that I think he would own up to. It was 28-13 after the miss, mixed ex, uh, missed extra point. Uh, sacks from Florida State's defense ended the next two wake drives. They came up in a big way. Uh, there with some of the youngsters on the defensive line. Johnny Wilson, a fade route you heard at the top of the show, and a two-pointer made it 28-21 with nine and a half minutes to play. So FSU all of a sudden back in the game. And then it's the dagger to end all daggers from Wake Forest. 18 plays, 66 yards, over six and a half minutes, and a drive that ends in a field goal. I think that was the fourth uh, drive of the game that was more than 10 plays. We talked about how that wore out the defense. And it was uh, a 10-point game with, you know, about – uh, under under seven minutes to go, and it was too hard to come back from. FSU kicked a, a 55-yarder on a fourth and 20 where they were going to need a field goal, an onside, and a touchdown. So to me, I don't take much out of that miss, but Ryan Fitzgerald, for what it's worth, is 4-9 and nine on his field goal attempts this year. He did miss an extra point last week, so things are not going well. 
Um, but to cap it off with some notes, Wake Forest, 85 plays to FSU, 63 plays. They got out gained there. Wake Forest wins time of possession, 35 minutes to 25 minutes. Um, Wake Forest, 10 for 18 on third downs and also 3 for 3 on fourth downs. Whether it was third and long, whatever, even if they didn't get it, they would go for it on fourth and short and get that one too. So that's basically 13 of 18 on third slash fourth downs, which you know can't get much worse than that on the defensive end. Florida State loses the turnover battle, time of possession battle, penalties, 11 penalties for 96 yards, and they look the sloppiest they have certainly all year. And, you know, before we, we bring on uh, our main man here from, from NC State's uh, student paper, we, you know, you take a look at this Florida State team, they lose in every single category, still come away with a chance to win it at the end. Um, at least within the last 10 minutes, they're, they're within striking distance. Uh, defense only gives up 10 points in the second half to a very, very good Wake Forest team. Only gives up 31 points in total to a very, very good Wake Forest offense. Um, so, I like like Josh Burrell said earlier today, we don't have any moral victories at Florida State, to quote him. Um, but... You know we're on the radio, so we can we can claim them. <laughs> I, I think I do think that is that is a a positive for Florida State to look out for. FSU is now four and one, two and one in the ACC. We're anticipating a phone call here any second. FSU takes on North Carolina State. They're 14th in the country. NC State a three and a half point favorite. Seventy percent of the picks are on NC State to cover that over under on the game is 52. But joining the show now, we have Ben Ellis. He's the assistant sports editor of The Technician. That's the NC State uh, student paper. Uh, so this is William, Jackson, Max, and Jacob on Tomahawk Talk with you, Ben. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. How is everything in Raleigh these days? And were you spared mostly from the effects of Hurricane Ian? And thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, we, uh, we got a little bit of rain in Raleigh. Um, actually, lost hour at my apartment for a few hours um but yeah just glad that that's passed over now and yeah i mean i'm, I'm hoping that everybody in florida is okay I, mean, I know you guys got hit pretty hard last week so yeah just my, my heart goes out to you we appreciate that ben so getting a getting down to brass tacks nc state they're four and one this year they're 14th in the country tell us about wolfpack football in 2022 thus far yeah so i mean so far nc state i mean They've beaten everyone who they've been expected to beat. I mean, they they were really lucky to beat East Carolina, who they played in week one. I mean, they ECU missed a, an extra point towards the end of the game that would have tied it up and missed a field goal at the end that would have won it for them. Great football um, they, game, by the way. What's that? So that was just a great football game. Oh, yeah, well, it, it was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they, they was lucky to win that one. Um, but they... They played better against Texas Tech, which was kind of the marquee non-conference game of of the non-conference slate. And then, you know, obviously took one on the chin this past week against Clemson. I mean, just didn't play well enough to win. I mean, got to give credit. Clemson was a better team. And, I mean, I, I was there for the game. De- Death Valley is a really tough place to play. I mean, there's there's a reason why the last 37 teams that have played there have lost. Um, but, yeah, so tough on this past weekend. Um, overall, the the defense for NC State has been the, the strong suit. I mean, they're only allowing 280 yards per game, which is 15th in the country. Um, it's really been the offense that's kind of been struggling to get their act together. And Devin Leary, the quarterback, he's a guy who entered the season with pretty high expectations. I mean, he was the ACC preseason player of the year. 
Um, last year, he broke the school record for most passing touchdowns in a single season. Um, and, I mean, he's played well against teams that they've beaten by 40 this year, but he's been fairly average against some of the better teams. Um, yeah, I mean, last year they lost the uh, school all-time receptions leader, um, Emeka Amezi, and Leary hasn't really found a, a go-to guy. Um, so far this year, I mean, they lost their starting two running backs from last year, Zonovan Knight and Ricky Person. Um, they combined for over 1,000 yards in 2020 and 21. And uh, they lost their star offensive tackle, Iki Aquano, who went sixth overall in the NFL draft to the Carolina Panthers. Um, so they've been struggling to find a consistent run game as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they entered the season with high expectations. Uh, they're trying to win the ACC championship for the first time in over 40 years. And, I mean, it can still be a great season, but that loss to Clemson hurt this past weekend. That likely decided the ACC Atlantic division. So that's, uh, that's why we need Florida State to beat Clemson in a couple weeks to have a chance. That would be fine with me, Ben. Besides a home game, that, that one that you mentioned versus Texas Tech, uh, the, the trip to number 5 Clemson was really the first legitimate threat that NC State has faced this year. Do you think that they played to their ability on Saturday, or have they not hit their ceiling yet for this season? Uh, no, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I, I don't think they've hit their ceiling um, so far this year. I mean, they they just didn't play as well as there was as they were supposed to this past weekend. I mean, they had 34 yards rushing and two turnovers, and that's just not going to get it done against Clemson. Um, and I mean, I think they—they're just—they're not used to the big stage yet, like Clemson is. I mean, Clemson's just got that championship DNA, and you know, I, I think that showed on Saturday night. And um, I mean, I talked about it earlier, Death Valley. I mean, like I was there for it. That place is rocking. I mean, probably the coolest football stand that I've ever been in. I mean, like, had speakers going, had their entrance that they do where they run down the hill. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's just that place is a tough place to play. And, and I think going back to the game itself, um, I mean, I, I don't know if you watched it at all, but there's a sequence at the towards the end of the first half um, and the start of the second half that I think really came back to hot NC State, and that's where um, – State scored a touchdown to take the lead um, at the end of the first half um, with like two minutes left, and, and that was a really good opportunity because State was going to get the ball to start the second half, but Thompson went down and scored right after that, um, and then at the start of the second, um, State went three and out, and Thompson scored again. So, I mean, that was a 14-point swing right there. So just missed out on some opportunities that they had, and, and yeah, just didn't play up to the – their potential on Saturday night. Hey Ben, this is Jackson uh, here on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, I did have the the pleasure of uh, going to Raleigh and watch Florida State play NC State in 2020. I was working for the uh, Florida State football uh, equipment team, um, so I kind of know the atmosphere there. Obviously, it was during COVID; it was only 25 percent, so I don't know the full extent of the atmosphere. But you know, for our listeners uh, at home, how would you describe NC State's atmosphere? Especially, you know, I don't want to say compared to a Clemson. Or you know, to a to a Tallahassee, but how would you compare the two? And do you think Florida State will uh, be able to handle it? Yeah, I mean, it's Carter Finley Stadium is a great environment. I mean, I I like to think that it's the best venue for football in North Carolina. Um, I mean, yeah, well, at least compared to to Tallahassee. I mean, I, I've never been to Tallahassee before, but I mean, I know that that's a that's a great 
um, environment too. I mean, they they do the Chief Osceola before the game goes out and plants the spear in the middle of the field. I mean, that's intimidating if you're the other team. But um, fortunately for State, I mean, the game's in Raleigh, and I mean, yeah, it's a tough place to play. I mean, State won all their games there last year. Um, I mean, I, I think that Florida State is more than capable of of handling that. I mean, they're you know much improved this year than they have been in last years. But like I said, Carter Finley is a is a tough place to play, and um, I think because it's there, that that might just be what State needs to give them the edge. And historically, Florida State has not played well in Raleigh. I mean, you you, you go back to 2012. Florida State has EJ Manuel. Uh, they put up 16 in the first half against East State and end up losing 17 to 16, kind of derailing their national championship hopes uh, midway through the season. Um, Florida State, you know, they lose in Raleigh in 2020. They lose last year in Doak Campbell Stadium as well. Uh, what does Florida State, which position group to be exact, does Florida State need to look out for if they have any chance of winning on on, on Saturday? Um, you mean position group for NC State? Yes, or for yes. Florida excuse State? me. Yes, for NC State. Um, well, I mean, I think position group for State that is probably the best is their linebacking group. Um, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I may be biased a little bit, but I, I think that State's really got the best, one of the best linebacking groups in the country. Um, so, you know, like I said earlier, the State's defense is tough. Um, I think last week or this past weekend against Clemson, State really struggled against. Clemson's quarterback, DJ, um, who's a dual-threat guy. I know that Jordan Travis is a dual-threat guy himself, which you know, makes me a little worried um, about, you know, State going up against him. So, you know, I think I think for Florida State to, to beat State, I mean, Jordan Travis is going to have to have a pretty good game. A couple of members of this NC State defense, Corey Durden and Cyrus Fagan, both spent some years on Florida State. Today they're both graduate players of the Wolfpack, what has been their effect on the team from your eyes? Yeah, so, I mean, those are two guys that both came in in 2021. And, um, you know, Cyrus Fagan, he's a guy who actually got hurt last year uh, in 2021 and um, just like the second game of the year. So he, he missed most of the season, but he's come back healthy this year. And, I mean, he's played pretty well. I mean, he's got 20 tackles so far. Um, and Corey Durden, I mean, he's been a difference maker pretty much his whole time in Raleigh. I mean, he had really good 2021, um, 31 tackles. He played a really big role in State's win over Clemson last year. Um, he had one and a half sacks. Um, he actually had shoulder surgery in the offseason, so um, you know, just trying to work back and, and get to going 100%, but, I mean, so far he's done pretty well. He's got eight tackles. He's still trying to get his first sack, but like I said earlier, defense hasn't really been the issue for this year. It's, I mean, they've been holding up their end of the bargain. So definitely those guys have, have been difference makers in their time in Raleigh so far. One of the starting cornerbacks on your defense, Derek Pitts, he's going to miss the first half this week for a targeting ejection late in the game versus Clemson. Do you anticipate this being an issue or maybe just something the Knowles can exploit in the first 30 minutes? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um I mean, that's, that's always a, a huge loss when you lose a, a starting corner. Um, I mean, I will say that state secondary is better uh, this year than it has been in the last couple years. Um, I mean, there, there, states had some, like, really bad secondaries in 
the last five years or so. Um, so, yeah, I mean that that could definitely be a, a role. And I mean, if if I were Florida State, I would I would seek to exploit that. Hey Ben, this is Maxwell Rundy. I hope you're doing well. Um, even with the 34 rush yards this week against Clemson, NC State's still averaging almost 133 yards per game. So, do you imagine a successful return to the ground game against the Seminoles, or were the or was there an impressive start on the ground so far this year due to the, like competition? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that State you know can get their ground game figured out. Um, I mean, I I, I look a little bit at Florida State's numbers. I mean, I, I haven't watched them play a whole lot this year, but, I mean, it, it seems like if there is um, one weak point that the Seminoles do have, it, it might be that run defense. I mean, it seems like that's where Florida State, you know, Wake Forest was able to um, to do a lot of damage this past weekend. So, um, I mean, you know, State's got talent in the backfield. Um, I mean, their, their main running back, Demi Sumo Carnby, um, he played pretty well in week one against East Carolina. Um but yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, the, the state's kind of hurting right now from losing their starting tailbacks from last year and their star offensive tackle. But um, you know, I mean, maybe this week they can you know, get their ground game figured out. Got a couple more questions for you, Ben. This is the last one from me, and we'll have one from Jackson. If you have a score prediction for Saturday, I'd love to hear it. But also, just how you see this contest playing out on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think this should be a pretty good game. I mean, you got two teams both coming off a loss, uh, looking to bounce back. I mean, it's an essentially an elimination game for both teams. Uh, I mean, they need to, to win to keep pace in the Atlantic Division. And, I mean, I think it's going to be a tough game for NC State. I mean, this is the best Florida State team that they've played in a while. And, I mean, I've said it for years that no matter what their record is or how good they are, you always have to take Florida State seriously because they always have talent and I mean, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that Florida State is better this year because I, mean, I think college football is good when Florida State is good. Um, like I said earlier, um, State's going to have their hands full with Jordan Travis, um, you know, dual threat quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, he's going to play a big role in this one. And, um, I mean, I I think, I think because the game is in Raleigh, that's going to what's going to be giving State the edge. Um, I mean, if it was in Tallahassee, it might be a different story. Um, but I'm uh, I'm going to go with NC State 24, Florida State 14. All right, all right. And uh, last question for you: um, the biscuit place in Raleigh Rise is it still there? Some of the best biscuits yeah. I've ever had. Uh, yes, it is still there. All righty, sounds good. So any any Knowles fans that are listening that are that are going up to Raleigh, make sure to to, to go to Rise. But uh, Ben, we appreciate you coming on. Um, good luck to you and your squad this weekend. But uh, as always, we're gonna tell you go Knowles. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely goes both ways. Ben, have a good one there. Thank you. All right, there he goes, Ben Ellis, assistant sports editor of the Technician. We appreciate the time. Uh, good luck the rest of the way there with the season and with your time there with the paper. But now as we go back to the studio, William, Jackson, Max, and Jacob, let's have a roundtable score predictions and uh, either how you think the game's going to go or what FSU has to do to win. Jackson, we'll start with you. The the, the score that is coming to my mind is 24-22 on a game-winning field goal. Uh, I don't know who's going to be kicking it, though. 
Um, but, you know, screw it. I'm going to go Florida State 24-22 on a game-winning field goal in Raleigh. All right. I'd say last week was uh, FSU's week of coming out to the public and kind of getting taken down a notch. And I think this upcoming week, it's that for the Wolfpack. They haven't played anybody. They played Clemson. They played Clemson well. They almost lost to Eastern what, Tennessee or Carolina? Carolina. 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 That's embarrassing. I, although I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game because – the FSU's offense really scared me at a point in that time. Early second quarter, I was just baking in the sun, and I'm like, this is this is bad. This is not going well for the Knowles. But I, I'm going to go 21-13. Maybe a Hail Mary try. Doubt it. But, like, I, I, I think FSU t- walks away and just kind of controls this game, sort of like Wake did last weekend, but roles reversed. All right, Jacob. You know, respectfully, both teams, they have they have their strengths and they do have their weaknesses. So, you know, when I look at this game, I see two teams, you know, they're obviously trying to bounce back from losses. Um, you know, some of the weirdest games I've seen, you know, have this uncanny habit of showing up, like, you know, after losses and, you know, sees, you know when, when we look at the, at the college football playoff, you know, two losses and it's pretty much a death sentence. So, you know. I'm gonna go with something. I'm gonna go something out of the box. I'm gonna say 12 to nine. Wow! So four of, field goals to three field goals. Why not? There you go. So a lot of low scoring affairs Trust around the room. The kicker. My prediction, as we round it out, I think FSU falls 28-21. I think Larry bounces back. The quarterback has a nice day. The keys for me is Robert Scott, the left tackle, going to be back from injury. The offensive line, they'll look to have to improve what they did last week. Uh, The pulling guards were slow. Wake Forest was shooting the gaps. There was a lot of stuff put on film, or rather an NC State defense that's allowed only 15 points a game that they're going to look to take advantage of. So can the offensive line be a little bit quicker and maybe help that run game? The interior defensive line is going to need to be a lot better because uh, Wake took advantage of that as well. And uh, the secondary is going to need a bounce back game as well. So a lot of units needing to play uh, quite a bit better. But that's going to do it for this part of Tomahawk Talk. Next up, we have Jack Goliara with Seminole Segment. Jack, over to you. Hey, howdy. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. I am Jack Goliara, leading the Seminole Segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics. Uh, I'm going to quickly give my thoughts on FSU North Carolina State. I think Florida State will look a better team than Saturday's home loss to Wake, but playing up against a better side will make this a tight game, and I see this ending around 34-34 at the end of regulation, and if you held your weapon of choice to my head and told me to pick, I'd probably side with the Wolfpack in the OT. Now switching from football to soccer, the 7th-ranked Florida State Seminoles traveled down to Coral Gables for an in-state rivalry matchup with the Miami Hurricanes. The Canes have had an up-and-down season. While they're usually not one of the strongest sides in the ACC, they've had a mixed bag, starting with a draw and a win over Mississippi State and Alabama, respectively, and un- but unable to win in nearly a month after their 2-1 win over Oklahoma State. They lost to USF and Tampa and have started conference play with three losses on the road to Louisville, Pitt, and Syracuse. They'd open conference play at Cobb Stadium against the Knowles and held them to just seven total shots, Florida State's lowest tally on the season. Despite all the Canes' good work shutting down chances and making a few of their own, they committed a penalty early in the second half, which Heather Payne made no mistake of, tugging it low into the right, leaving the Canes' keeper looking foolish in her indecisiveness, and that ended up being the decider and the lone goal in the evening to make it another seminal win over Miami. 
this is the Seminoles' smallest win on the season, as they've won all of the conference games by at least two goals, scoring at least three. But a win is a win, and they'll try to ready themselves for a huge match this set, this Thursday excuse me, in Charlottesville against the second-ranked Virginia Cavaliers. Last year's game ended in an agonizing 1-1 draw that had it all. Physicality, drama, tension, and just about everyone left the Seminole soccer complex with their voices gone. They'll then follow that up with a trip to the 16th-ranked Notre Dame fight in Irish, one of the toughest weekends for the Florida State in quite some time. FSU-UVA will be on Thursday at 8 p.m. on the ACC Network, and FSU versus the Irish will be on Sunday at noon on ESPNU. Back to the court where Florida State Volleyball had their road trip to the state of North Carolina to take on North Carolina State and North Carolina. Friday's game in Raleigh came out on top but from there. They started um, a little neck-and-neck neck in the first set that saw the Wolfpack come out on top, but from there, NC State dominated the Knolls thanks to devastating kills by Avery Bizard and Martina Lyonak. But Sunday's game in Chapel Hill went better as the Knolls and Tar Heels traded the first four sets back and forth before Florida State put their foots on the gas, smoked UNC in the final set 15-5. It was an all-around team performance as four Seminoles had over 10 points each, headlined by Audrey Cohen and Emily Ryan, providing nearly 30 points each. The Knolls will enjoy the conference of home this week and will face Miami on Wednesday at 8 p.m. on the ACC Network and host Duke Friday night at 6.30 on ACC Network Extra. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William and Jackson, do the do. Thank you, Jack. Another great Seminole Segment from you there. And we wrap out the show here, Tomahawk Talk, here on this Monday night with some NFL talk now that we've talked about all things Florida State. And we'll start with the Sunshine Slate, which is our look at all three Florida teams in the NFL. And we'll start on a game that was played this past Thursday night. The Miami Dolphins, for their first loss of the season, falling to the Cincinnati Bengals in the Queen City, 27-15. to But, guys, this was that the score is not really the biggest story here. Tua Tungavailoa in the second half uh, is brought down his head, banging against the turf. Once again, the same hit that he took the week prior versus Buffalo. Um, he returned after that hit against Buffalo in the second half. This time he did not return, was taken to the nearby hospital, and uh, he's going to miss next week's game against the Jets. But uh, this is one of the biggest stories in sports, maybe even above sports, a guy that had two, basically two concussions in, in about five days. And uh, I think at this point we're just happy he's okay. Yeah, very much so. I mean, very scary injury. Um, you see – you know, two after taking the hit in Cincinnati, really, and it was actually the the second hit uh, of that game that was that was bad. He kind of lands awkward in that first hit uh, on his back, kind of kind of compresses on his spine, so that was scary there. And um, especially after the hit he took against Buffalo, you were you know you're, as a Dolphins fan, you're kind of worried are they going to take him out after that hit? But they leave him in, um, and then and then you know, a few plays later, uh, he takes that real bad hit against the turf, and uh, it makes you wonder, as a Dolphins fan, you know, what's going on? And and I, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but you know, you're you're being investigated already for letting him play. You're investigated, um, and you're sued by your former coach for for bad hiring and 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 firing practices. You're you're being investigated by the league for tampering. What is going on in Miami? I don't think enough people are talking about the multitude of all these different factors coming together. Um, but uh, when when it comes to this two injury, obviously, it, you know, thank God he's okay. Um, you know, just you know the 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 hand motions he was making, you know, lying there on the turf. You thought, God, oh my gosh, you know, is he paralyzed? Uh, and so, um, 
you know, thank God he was able to travel back with the team. He seems to be doing fine. But um, just off the top of my head, three in the last three years, two years, uh, it just seems like total dysfunction in Miami while the team is also probably the best looking it's been in a long time. It is a it is a weird sight. And this this goes even above the the Miami organization, but this was an incredibly bad optic for the league, as you mentioned, seeing seeing two on the ground um, with with the hands and all of that, and and he's carted off the field. Play is is paused, but there was a lot of I guess you could call fallout from this. The independent uh, concussion doctors that are on the sidelines that can pull a player from either team at any moment if they see concussion symptoms. I, I believe the one from the Buffalo game was fired for improper practice because coming off the field. Uh, Vilo was wobbling. He fell over. Couldn't really walk off on his own weight. Uh, so both games clear clear signs of concussion symptoms, and it seems like maybe this was not uh, proper in in the most uh, proper way. And also before I pass it off to Jacob, it just it seems the NFL and the NFLPA are going to have to come up together on some new concussion protocols because it really it seems like the whole system is is breaking down here. Yeah, it really does, and I'm I'm. Very interested to see how the league goes about, you know, enforcing, you know, whatever may come of their investigation. I, you know, I've heard some, some maybe call this outlandish, you know, punishment theories. Um, I've heard some people, you know, theorizing that, you know, they maybe they could take away a win even from from Miami. Um, but you know, you could see, you know, you know, loss of draft picks. Uh, we are, you know, the the doctor from I believe it was Miami. He has been fired if I remember that correctly. And so it'll be very interesting to see over the next couple of days and the next few weeks how the league handles this. I want to change the emotional tone of this conversation briefly. Can we all just point out that's arguably the best-dressed football game of all time? Yep. The all-whiteout, the all-baby yeah, blue Let's talk about what's really important. I agree with you, Max. I agree. Greatest Come on. uniform Come on. I mean, matchup I ever. tuned into that game strictly, and I mean strictly, it was a good football game. Two good teams, and it was very surprising to see the Bengals come out on top, which I can speak on briefly. Well, Vegas wasn't surprised. They were favored no, by three I mean, and a half. they were wearing that whiteout uniform. They are not about to lose in front of their, white, their, their home crowd. I mean, that was a beautiful, beautiful ball game, just aesthetically only. But really... Miami fans can't be too upset with Teddy Bridgewater either. Nope. He, he, he looked pretty, pretty, pretty comfortable out there. And this is coming from someone who really had a solid career going for him, and then he kind of blew out his entire knee. But that's neither here nor there. I, I think this is just a big game for the Bengals. Bengals came out and just gave it to them. They looked like a Super Bowl contender like they were last year. And, and not to cut you, cut you off, but, you know, last week, William and I, we talked about, you know, Will – uh, the Bengals be able to protect Joe Burrow, and they did. I mean, that was the game. What only two sacks, I believe. Not much pressure game. throughout. Not the Not much pressure throughout the entire game. Joe Burrow was kind of able to do whatever he wanted, uh, throwing the football. So, um, kind of similar to what Florida State um, had going for them in the Wake Forest game. Both Miami and Florida State weren't able to capitalize on the things that they were supposed to capitalize on. Um, Florida State didn't run the ball well. Miami wasn't able to get pressure. Uh, Florida State wasn't able to take advantage of a of a of a piss poor Wake Forest defense. So um, some of the parallels there there. But uh, I, I agree with you, Max. It's a, it's a big win for Cincinnati. Not only do they get back to 500, but they get you know they get the win uh, on a Thursday night game against a a very solid Miami squad. 
But for Miami, they are 3-1. and one. They're tied for first place in the AFC East. They'll have Teddy Bridgewater quarterbacking them against the Jets, who uh, had a surprising win this past week. So that'll be their road ahead. Moving on, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers outpaced by Kansas City at home on Sunday Night Football, 41-31. Uh, the rookie running back fumbles the opening kickoff. Kansas City cashes in the score. By the time you could blink, get a drink of water, it was 14-3 Chiefs. And never really looked back. Brady was forced to throw a lot more than he wanted to, Max. This run game, two weeks in a row, has given Tampa Bay absolutely zero and maybe less than zero, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. Look, I get it. Tom Brady's Tom Brady, 45-year-old legend out there. But And I get Leonard Fournette may not be in the best shape in the world, and they might not have the best running back depth in the world. Tell me the last time a, any team, NFL, college, high school, has won a uh, football game with three rushing yards. No, three. no. Six attempts, Fair enough. three rushing yards. And I think now we're finally seeing why Tom Brady was the 199th pick. I mean, you know, he, he's finally showing why he should have been a backup this whole time. On a different note, though, I swear the betting odds for um, Tom Brady's over-under for rushing was three yards. Tom Brady was expected to get three. Yeah. The team got three. That is absolutely ridiculous. I, It's not great. They get Atlanta next week, who they're tied with for first place in the NFC South. Typical Buck season where the entire division is in disarray. I think the Panthers are about to fire their coach. Saints lost in London on a double doink. Uh, they're one and three. I don't know if Jameis is going to be healthy, although Andy Dalton looked okay. But for the Bucks. Um, not not a great look really on either side of the ball. I think really that was just the Chiefs being the Chiefs. Uh, they they lost to the Colts the previous week. They were trying to get back on track. They did it in a big way. Tampa Bay is going to have to go back to the drawing board, and we'll just have to see with the road ahead, uh, two and two back to 500 after the nice little hot start that they had. Rounding out the trio, Jacksonville Jaguars fall just short to the Eagles in Philadelphia. A rain-soaked game, 29-21. Jaguars fumbled the ball four times. Uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence threw a pick. It didn't seem like in the rain, in the driving rain, they ran the ball as much as they should have. James Robinson, it seems like he's always running the ball well when they give him an opportunity. Doug Peterson coming back to Philly with a chance to win, but uh, he can't get it done. And I just want to say, Philly, notorious for throwing snowballs at Santa Claus and at opposing fan bases. They welcome Doug Peterson back with a applause that's right i love that they have a statue of him outside the stadium of him and Foles doing the philly philly call on the sideline of course they're gonna welcome him back but yeah i I wouldn't have been surprised if they booed him either just the way things go and jacob we were talking before the show philadelphia is in really good shape right now indeed yeah uh 4-0 and get this they have the fourth overall pick in the draft and who is that who uh whose uh pick is that new orleans so that trade that they made, I think the past draft to, to make that pick swap is, is paying out in a big way. As of now, we'll see how it pays out. Uh, but, you know, if I was from Philly, I'd be mad at everything, too, if my city smelled like pee all the time. I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, I, you have all you that. You didn't need to go there. You, yeah. had all, you have all that pent-up aggression. You know, you're very close. You're living in New York City's shadow. I get it. I get it. I mean, you have Rocky, but he's fictional. I get it. There's a couple of uh, Eagles fans here on campus. I'd, I'd watch out. <laughs> we'll have to watch our back tomorrow. They'll, they'll put Vaseline on the poles for you. Yeah. Slip right off. 
So Jacksonville, after the loss, they're two and two, but they're still tied for first in the AFC South. A situation similar to the Bucks, where the division is still figuring themselves out. I think all things considered, the Jags have to be pretty happy with where they're at. Um, rain games are always tough. You, you're playing the la- the remaining undefeated team in the league, and and those games aren't always going to go your way. They had a pick six. They were up fourteen nothing to start. We couldn't finish it off. Maybe if they ran the ball a little more, things could have gone their way. But uh, the other headlines in the NFL, briefly, the Bills beat the Ravens in a showdown of maybe uh, two of the best teams in the AFC. Uh, what, what did we think about this contest? It was another game with a lot of rain, a lot of weird plays, uh, but the Bills come out on top, on and, the road. You know, a great comeback from Buffalo. 17-point uh, deficit. Uh, I believe it was 21 no, it was it was some other score, but it was a 17-point deficit is the point, and the Bills came back and won, which you know, excellent. And from the Ravens, we're just seeing you know whenever they get a big lead, just total collapse. They're kind of they've kind of been known for choking the last you know kind of couple of years. Uh, they choke against Miami, they choke against uh, Buffalo. Something about those AFC East teams early on. I don't know what's going on with with Baltimore, but um, it was still very much alive to win their division. Um, you know, you're in a division with Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and uh, oh, forgive me off the top of my head, I can't remember who else is in that division. Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, that's right. So I uh, have a very good chance of winning that division. I, um, go ahead. Sorry to ju- jump in. I'm just going to segue into this next game for William here. Um, and this is also a callback to all the long-term listeners out there. Lamar's just not like that. He's Jeez. not. Oh Lamar is not like that. He's probably nowadays. Okay, I won't bring it all the way down to the level. I'm about of, to say, are, are you still taking Tavon Austin or Taysom Hill? Excuse no, me. No, you know who I'll take though, Geno Smith. Oh my gosh. Absolutely, Geno. Okay. Oh my gosh. We all know I'm a diehard Seahawks fan, right? Geno Smith. He. <laughs> people wrote him off, but he didn't write back again. But but Geno, here's the thing: is Geno Smith. Would you bet on him to be your quarterback yes. for the next three years? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you bet on Lamar could he, Jackson? Could he be... win a Monday night football game, though? Yes. Okay, do you bet on Lamar Jackson being a starting quarterback in the I, NFL? Because we don't know about his contract for the next three years. I could see him being a college years. football analyst in the next three years because oh that's what RG3 so you're saying, does now. So you're saying, you're saying that Lamar Jackson will, will not Mobile be a— Mobile quarterbacks die. You will not, you're saying he will not be a starting quarterback for the next three years. He probably will be, assuming his knees hold up. Okay, but you just said you take Geno. Are, are we joking about Geno Smith? You're being serious. I like Geno. Geno looks great so far. So, do you think Geno Smith will be a starting quarterback for the next the next three years? I do. NFL? I do. And honestly, um, <laughs> he's giving me a no. <laughs> no, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, backup quarterbacks they're very safe to play. You know, like Tom Brady. Well, <laughs> once a backup, always well, a backup. Consider this: when Russell Wilson, um, when we were playing the Jets a few years ago, Geno Smith came back in and he, you know, had a solid game, but he didn't wow anybody. But you know, when Russ went down with that injury last year and Geno Smith was asked to step in as the starter, he played well. You know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, he wasn't MVP numbers. He wasn't, you know, um, oh, God, who's he's that? A, Bill? He's uh, he, a successful he game manager. He wasn't Nathan Peterman. I'll, I'll yeah. give him that. Um, but Geno, you know, he's a good quarterback, you know, and I would say he's going to lead this team somewhere. And whether that's, you know, uh, a single-digit draft pick or, you know, getting clobbered in the first round as a seventh seed. You know, I'm I'm excited to watch Geno. You mean, you don't put up 40, 48 points against the Lions and, you know, be called a bad quarterback. Yeah, that's true, but we're going to uh, go ahead. 
Yeah, uh, FSU loses for the first time this year as we wrap up the show. I, I missed it. Let's get the Gene Deckerhoff call of the week uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, this past Sunday night. Shotgun look with Fournette on the right hip of Brady. Three receivers to the right now in motion. Julio Jones to the left edge. Play action fake Brady. Throws toward the end zone. Caught ball as he inbounds. It's a touchdown. Tampa Bay. Mike Evans has a pair. What a great grab by Evans. Fire the cannons. Buck score. A touchdown late. This is a great. So this has been Tomahawk Talk, and that was that call courtesy of the, the Bucks Radio Network and Gene Deckerhoff there. I've been William Haynes, our co-host Jackson Bakich, our two panelists, Max Rundy and Jacob Smith. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. <laughs>